Hello, this is Jim from Maryland in the United States. This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. With the Angels Take Manhattan now firmly in our past, and the DWP review of it coming up in the immediate future, now might be a really good time to say, Tom, Tom, what on earth is going on? Can you explain anything to me that we saw last night? Rory, what are you doing? Rory, stop it, you'll die. Yeah, twice. In the same building on the same night. Who else could do that? Just come down, please. This is the right thing to do. This will work. If I die now, it's a paradox, right? The paradox killed the angels. Tell me I'm wrong. Go on, please, because I'm really scared. The one time you can't manage it. <laughs> Amy. I'm gonna need a little help here. <sighs> just stop it. No, just think it through. This will work. This will kill the angels. It will kill you too. Will it? River said that this place would be erased from time, never existed. This this place never existed. What did I fall off? You think you'll just come back to life? When don't I? Rory! On anyway, what else is there? Dying of old age downstairs, never seeing you again. Amy, please, if you love me, then trust me and push. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of the Doctor Who podcast. With me in the camper van to discuss The Angels Take Manhattan, uh, I'm joined by the happy, if slightly confused, James. Oh, I'm always confused, um, but yes, I mean, happy, <laughs> not so much a constant really, but uh, yes, hello Tom, how are you doing? <laughs> not so bad, not so bad. Um, Alright, look, let's get straight to it, because, yes. you know, hello listeners, it's hello. lovely to have you with us. Um, again, it's it's there are some bulging numbers going on there, so thank you so much for everyone new who's joined us um right let's get straight to it james what did you think of the angels take manhattan oh i get to go first do i yeah (laughs) okay i i think it's a really difficult task for an executive producer to satisfy different elements of the audience these days if you consider you've got the person who doesn't really care what they watch on saturday night they just sit in front of television you know, they, they've Ooh. got no understanding or knowledge of, of Doctor Who, and yet they're sitting there watching it. You've mm. got the people who have started watching Doctor Who in 2005 and have got caught up with the ride since then. Then you've got people like us who know pretty much, you know, all there is to know about the history of Doctor Who going back from 1960s. And, and now you put a new guy in charge and say, satisfy all of those parts of your audience and what you get, I think, is The Angels Take Manhattan. It was pretty darn close to perfect Doctor Who, as far as I'm concerned. I adore Stephen Moffat's writing. There's been just a couple of clunkers, I think, since he's got his hands on the show. Uh, but this most certainly didn't disappoint in any way, shape or form. For the first time I can remember, I cared about Amy. It's typical, it's a final show, uh, but I actually Mm -hmm. gave two hoots about what happened to her in this. And I, I just think it was intricate, it was clever, it was different. I mean, you look at the finale Stephen Moffat has delivered us so far, but the Big Bang and the wedding of river songs the 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 pace was very very frenetic it was, it was extremely fast it was also well, both of the stories were laden with with a history that had been played out over the previous 12 13 episodes not so with the angels take manhattan you could have sat there not having watched any of season 7 and still understood it and still enjoyed it and still taken something out of it I think New York looked fantastic. I think Alex Kingston is the hottest she's ever been. And she was just so good in this uh, in this story. The line she had with the Doctor, fantastic. Mm-hmm. In short, I'm gushing. <laughs> I think it was really, really good. 
All right, then. Okay, so let's so let, let, let's let's just put some background in. So this is the finale, or of the first, well, the first half uh, of season seven. Um, I'm not sure if the next half is called season eight, but we'll we'll deal <laughs> with that shortly. Um, we've had five episodes, really, uh, really just over a month's worth of Doctor Who, uh, which is not bad. We had a you know, five week month, and we've had five episodes of Doctor Who through September. Uh, a story has been finished, an arc has been resolved, possibly. Um, and the and Matt Smith's first companions, so the the first companions of the Eleventh Doctor, have bowed out of the show. There, there are some 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 loose ends still to be tied up. Oh yes. Um, but the bottom line is, okay, well, Amy and Rory has left. So I've got to ask you, what was that about? What do you think that show was actually about? Oh, that's such a huge and broad question. I'm not quite mm. sure where to go with it. Uh, I, I know the fans were probably hoping for something a little bit more intricate uh, rather than what was, I suppose, a a retelling of Blink. And that's that's putting in it's in its worst terms. Lots of people, our own beloved Ian, uh, had called what was going to happen a long, long time ago. But what it was actually about, I'm not sure, because the Doctor had pretty much no influence at all here. He was a Mm. passive observer. This was where the Ponds stepped up to the main stage, which, of course, you know, what better stage is there than Broadway, and (laughs) delivered a story that wasn't focused around the Doctor. Um, And now a lot of people, I think, will probably not be that happy with that because, you know, everything was so, so companion-centric. But Are you you sure it wasn't about the Doctor? Because this seemed to me to be an awful lot about how the Doctor deals with his own uh, lack of agency and how how he feels when companions leave. I mean, you're right, he was very much sidelined apart from reacting to things, it seemed. Certainly, the show is definitely about how the Doctor interacts with situations that he's usually, I would say, in control of or he at least has a guiding hand if you look at some of the most the the, the darkest seventh doctor stories he is in complete control at all times now this is pretty much the opposite most people would counterpoint the seventh doctor's machiavellian traits with the fifth doctor's vulnerability I think you can contrast it just as well with the 11th Doctor being pretty hapless in last night's episode. And by God, the story benefited from it. It was excellent. You had oodles of Matt Smith's acting talent on display. You just look at his reactions to the way both Rory and Amy uh, eventually decide to go out of the out of the story um you know the, the scene at the top of that building with Amy and Rory you know on on the um on the ledge you know, especially even the way that it was shot, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I, I found myself, I was holding my breath. I was riveted to the screen. And it's been a very long time since I can say I, I hung on every single line. Did, did you find the story satisfying? Do you think it was? A, do you think it was a good end for the pond? Yes, I do. Uh, there are some loose ends uh, to tie up that, that, that mm. you alluded to. No question. I'm sure we'll talk about those. Uh, mm. But on the whole, this has probably been the most satisfying story that has paid off a build-up since 2005. I cannot think of a better resolution. I I thoroughly enjoyed Rosie's departure in in Doomsday. Uh, I thought that was fantastic, and it's a real shame that she came back, really, because it Mm. diluted that uh, departing scene uh, Mm. on the beach. But this, I think, it's, it's pretty much nailed. If the ponds come back now, it cannot do any good, in my view. It will do nothing apart from detract from the brilliance of this story. I think fans will have problems with it. But uh, as I said, I, I and I do to a degree. But um, Tom, how about you? It's all been me so far. What did you think of this? Well, um, I, I, I did two, two new and unusual things yesterday. I thought what I would do is... Um, I thought I would watch Twitter twinkling away uh, whilst I was watching. And I thought I'd participate as well, so so, so I thought I'd uh, send a couple of tweets. Um, and I had to stop after about four or five minutes, <laughs> not only because I think so, one of us was in a restaurant somewhere saying, don't tell me, <laughs> yes. um, um, but also because I, there was too much going on on the screen. And, it, and I loved the idea that if you blinked, you did miss something. And mm. you know, it, that, it, I think... It, the idea, the whole idea of the angels, is if you do take your eyes off them for a moment, then of course they move and they'll kill you. And 
even just darting between a, a computer monitor and the, and the screen, I was missing things. I had to stop doing that. So I liked the pace of it. Um, I liked the characterization, but I've got to say, let's get this out, let's get, get this out of the way up front. I know there were many tears shed last night all around Doctor Who fandom, I think. Mine weren't theirs. Mine weren't included. That's not to say that I'm, I'm, I'm heartless or I don't, I don't have that kind of cathartic reaction to Doctor Who. Sometimes I do because that's what it's meant. To, that's, that's what you're meant to have. But last night, no. Um, We'll start with the good stuff. I, um, I liked that the the Amy and Rory have clearly become the Doctor. Um, I like I like the, I like the clever specs on Amy. Um, I like that um, she's using his phrasing. I like that Rory started to dress like him. That's quite fa- that's quite fab. Um, I like the idea that the Doctor doesn't like endings. That's something that seems to have been part of his character for a long while. Um, I'd like a bit more information about where those where those temporal distortions come are coming from. Mm. And immediately, I started. I thought, "Oh, is this, is this Dalek master plan, or oh, is this something to do with the um, uh, Daleks take Manhattan?" No, because Daleks take Manhattan is set five years before uh, Angels in Manhattan. It was good. I mean, there was, there was, I think on thinking when I think about it, it's actually more satisfying than it was when I actually watched it. Um, I love the idea of the Angels battery farming people. Yeah, um, Mike McShane as the collector was absolutely absolutely fabulous. It's, it's nice. To, he did a Great line in Marlon Brando and and uh, uh, and Van Staten, I thought. Um, and you're right, Alex Kingston kicks it out of the park. Questions we have to ask: Has the Doctor given away one of his regenerations? How many has he got left? No, um, no, I, I I don't think so. I don't think those kind of things would ever be addressed. You need to remember, even in um, David Tennant, there was a two-parter, The Alternate World. It was the Cyberman story. Yeah, he, he ended up rebooting the TARDIS by giving away X number of years or 100 years of regeneration energy. I think they're just... Uh, you could even say that they're gimmicks, but I don't yeah. think it's ever going to play an intrinsic part of a future story. Mm. Well, I, I think for, the, for those people who, think, who feel that there might be an increasing uh, tendency for the Doctor to be magic... Um, that 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 was that's one of those moments where it's like, oh, calm down. Let's can we can we have some science, please? I don't know. It's I know it's science fantasy rather than science fiction. Um, was it what it was built up built up to be? No, I think what you've got here is something that was less than the sum of its parts. If I'm honest, really? Um, yes, I am. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> to hear you say that, I really am. Well, listen. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's still it, it's still Doctor Who, and it's still good Doctor Who. But I think personally, I'll be honest. I need to go back and watch it again um, for a number of reasons because there's an awful lot of dancing around through time, which is brilliant. That's maybe what Doctor Who should be what it'll be about. There are a couple of lovely shots, particularly when the Doctor's trying to land the TARDIS in 19, in, uh, yes. uh, in 1938, and he's halfway up the console. I loved all that. That's that's my Doctor. That's fantastic. Um, the sentimentality part of it, I don't, I just didn't quite get. Maybe because maybe I didn't care as much about Amy and Rory as I thought. I cared more about Rory at the end of this. Um, I liked the false endings. I loved the false endings. That was really good. That's Doctor Who being cinematic. But I wonder if in. <clears throat> Uh, if in an effort to be cinematic, that the way the story is told is becoming less like Doctor, which is a stupid thing to say, less like Doctor Who and more like it, and more like Star Wars. Um, that said, um, the, the, you know, the, the, I can't get. I, I, I'm not going to say that this is rubbish. It wasn't. It was really, really good, and it's better than some than, than some stories that Doctor Who's told. But I, I'm not sure if it's the best story this season, wow. though. Maybe because we knew it was coming. Maybe because we were told it was going to be heart. We were told it was going to be heart wrenching because we were told it was going to be oh so so emotional. I was thinking okay make it so then and even and even Karen Gillan um, and Arthur Darville were in Twitter saying all right are you ready because this is going to be really hard work yeah. for you I mean this, and it wasn't no I know but the thing is I, I think you've got to try and distance yourself from the hyperbole that you're going to get you know they have to build up every finale or mid-season finale as much as they can and I, I take it pretty much with a pinch of salt I, I don't really remember the last time I cried at Doctor Who I, I, I think I got pretty welled up at Doomsday you know, mm. particularly where Jackie met, you know, her dead husband, and mm. um, that 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 was quite uh, quite a choking moment. And uh, there, there was some extremely, you know, sad moments in dare I say it, love and monsters. You know, because mm. you examine the loneliness of Jackie to a degree. Uh, but I I didn't cry last night. I didn't expect to cry last night. I'll tell you what I did. I I pretty much hid behind the blanket I was under because those angels were scary. Um, and, yeah. and they were they were evil incarnate. And I think if you've got to look for a Dalek equivalent uh, within a new series, then the angels uh, are it because they are very very well done. And I I, I speaking to a few people. People at work um, this week in, in the build-up to, to Saturday's transmission, 
and there was a couple of people, you know, fully grown professionals, and they were saying, well, I, I'm not going to watch it because it's angels, and the angels scare me. And I'm thinking, mm. well, you know, you're nearly 40 years old. It's on at 7 o'clock in the evening, more or less, on a Saturday night. How traumatic can it be? But that just shows how scary the angels really are. No, I, t- I tell you what, um, the Daleks versus the Angels, the Angels take it. The Daleks, the most consistently defeated foe, foe in Doctor Who. The Angels, actually, factually frightening. In the dark, moving around, they keep still, you look away, they've got you. Terrible, absolutely terrible. And they didn't really lose last night either. No. Ex- you'd say that you're quite right, Dalek have got 50 years history of being defeated. The Angels mm-hmm. haven't really been defeated. They've just, you know, you, you can argue that the Doctor's survival is a victory of a kind. I think cool. the I think the Angels are Moffat's masterpiece. You cool. know, I, I think this is the really best, aside from what he's done with the 11th Doctor's character, I, I think the Angels are something that we are going to remember. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the show does last for another 50 years that we're still getting Weeping Angels stories. Mm. However, I will say that I think they're fairly limited. Um, and all of the things that you can do with Angels, obviously, have been done now. Because Last Night and Blink, I think, you know, they were very, very similar stories, really. Uh, people were getting sent back in time, living out their life. Oh, dear, it's very, very sad. The difference being this time it was with Amy and Rory. Uh, they changed that a little bit for the time of angels and flesh and stone because the angels killed people because they didn't need the time energy they were strong angels etc but it allows the writers to focus on the main characters and last night had a very very small cast really it was just amy rory river and the doctor everyone else was fairly peripheral but this is what british tv does really well small cast big idea um big city well, I think particularly the, I like the way that the the suggestion that I don't like endings was tied up with the way that Rory doesn't get one. He's just suddenly he's there and then <laughs> suddenly he's gone. Um, but there are but, but there were some quite nice build up moments as well. I think when River was saying that she had to choose um, choose uh, how to relate to uh, a, a t- an ageless god who wore the face of a twelve year old, Amy's little reaction or that little cutaway shot there was interesting and quite telling. Uh, but ultimately, it's I, th- I think maybe that the hard thing and the obvious thing is is that uh, we we as fans should be glad that uh, Amy chose her husband. You know, there's lots of references to the power of marriage, the power of uh, of togetherness, the power of partnership, and making the correct choices. So, it could, you know, it could be argued that there's quite a strong and set and ultimately sentimental message to be had there. Um, immediately, I'm thinking of ice cream. Ice cream's not good for you. Eat a little bit of it, and it's and it's really quite a treat. This is very. This was a very sentimental thing, and so it's a treat because there have been there's been lots of comedy, there's been lots of drama, and even in this particular episode. Um, there was there was quite a roller coaster to be had. It was exciting. It was frightening. It was emotional. I wasn't as emotionally affected as mm. I, as I thought I might have been. But that doesn't take away from from the fact that it was all there. To be honest with you, the things I want in Doctor Who were there: uh, time travel, comedy. Loads, loads of tardis in Syria and some wibbly wobbly timey wimeyness. Um, I and I and I do regret saying that even now. <laughs> <laughs> I do think this is very different. It, it's got all of the core elements of the show, uh, as you've just bulleted, really. Uh, but it did feel different. I mean, the whole yeah. of the pre-credit sequence was very dark and was very sinister and yeah. had a complete absence of any of the regular cast to reassure the viewers. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the tone was set right from the outset. It was it was a much slower-paced story, I feel, than we're used to. The emotional tension gets ramped up and you're right it's it's good to see i suppose um the traditionalist inside of me is is quite pleased that the virtues of of love and marriage and so on are actually on our screens at seven o'clock on um a saturday night as opposed to a whole load of programs that are on bbc3 basically that suggest that it's not important anymore mm. um i i think that is is a really good thing to hang on to uh but what what i'm not so sure about is the story that led us to that point or led the characters to that point I've always said I've never really quite understood what Rory sees in Amy and that there was almost oh. a, there was almost an unseen 
scene <laughs> at some point. It feels like something's missing. And I know they tried to address it in Vampires in Venice where Amy chooses Rory, but it's very much a logical decision as opposed to a heartfelt decision. And I would like to have seen the relationship founded on something a little bit more solid than just a case of, yeah, well, I've made a call now. You have no, 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 wait, but you've had a couple, you've had a couple of years of this. There's been, yeah. there's been a few years of, 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 of Amy, of the character of Amy looking at her husband and saying, well, actually, what's going on? But, but again, but there's no watershed. I, I don't remember seeing that watershed moment. I mean, she's set up in the early part of season five as a sassy individual who tries to seduce the doctor at the end mm. of episode five mm. of that, of that series. <clears throat> and then from episode six onwards, that's mm. it. We are supposed to buy the fact that she is totally in love with Rory. She's made her choice. Um, it happens that quickly sometimes, though. You know oh, I, I'm not so sure. I think it can be a little bit more compelling. If, if you're not seeing everything, which, of course, you're not on a TV show, you know, mm. you, you need to show some emotional transition as opposed to a decision you know the switch is off now it's on you know don't forget about time by the by the time they die in angels and angels of manhattan they've been together for at least 10 years she's getting old he's she's aging and so yeah she. yeah very true you know and and there is certainly a lot i think that's gone on that we haven't seen on screen that kind of leads me into um, my my crazy theory uh, that i've been talking about over the last couple of months um the end of angels take manhattan uh, we, we, we see the ponds disappear. But does the Doctor then, because clearly he didn't have a goodbye scene, really. He didn't get an opportunity to, to bid farewell. Does he therefore think, OK, I'm going to go back and do this in different ways? And then he goes and visits the stories we've already seen, episodes one through to four this year. I'm, I think that I think that, is, that story is still waiting to be told because there's all the, I think one of the big holes that I think um, a certain number of fans are howling about is like, why can't he just go back and get them? Why can't he just go back and get them? But it, but it does come down to, um, to, uh, to events actually happening in time, fixed events. For the same reason he can't go and see the Brigadier again. Although the Brigadier exists in time, he doesn't exist in the Doctor's future anymore. Because he knows he's dead. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. But if if the precedent has been set or is being set that the Doctor can go back on the Ponds timeline, Mm. which, you know, and and there's quite a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest that is what's happening. Mm. Um, You know, there's certainly some things to be explained if it isn't happening. Mm. Then there's no reason why he couldn't do it. And, you know, okay, let's let's deal with my niggles. Let's deal with my niggles because this is all linked. All right. niggle, Niggle number one. New York, why is it so difficult for the Doctor to bring the TARDIS into New York? Now, he's, he's right. done it on several occasions. Yeah. He's done it as the first Doctor at the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah, uh, not 38, though. Yeah, no, no, not in 1938, no. It wasn't said explicitly it was 1938 that was hard yes, to was. get to. No, it wasn't. It said he bounced off it, and he was surprised that he bounced off it. It was New York that was difficult to get a fix on, not 1938. Right. Okay. I'm fairly. I need to go back and check, but I'm fairly certain it was like, yes, it's definitely this date that's the problem. Mm, I I think he just said New York is so much time, energy or time crisscross. I can't remember the precise words again. Because distortion. We, yeah, something like that. It's because we we're reviewing this so quickly. I've only seen it on one occasion. <laughs> Uh, but there's 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 precedence there, as you say. Daleks in Manhattan, um, you know, that was set in the Depression. Um, yeah, five it, years before though. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the same point in space, but not in time. Um, the, the giveaway is that the Empire State Building has been built by the um, by Daleks by uh, Angels Take Manhattan. Yeah, so I, and I knew <clears> it had been set afterwards, no question. But mm. from what I remember, there was just a couple of lines of dialogue that mm. talked about New York being a bit of a nightmare. To, yeah. um, to to get to. And yep. I thought that was a little bit convenient. I mean, may, maybe it's explained mm. away in another throwaway line, and I'm quite happy to, you know, be corrected if that's the case. Mm. My second niggle is one that you've already mentioned. Now, I mm. understand why the Doctor can't go back to New York for all of these reasons. You know, it's 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 very, very hard to change something that's now become... A fixed, um, a fixed event or something, but mm. surely Rory and Amy wouldn't have spent their entire life from the ages of thirty odd all the way through to eighty two in New York in one place that would be extremely hard for the Doctor to revisit. Couldn't they go somewhere else? And couldn't she... he go and visit them? 
she um, Amy alludes to the fact that this isn't their last meeting. She sa- she says something about waiting for him. Not only not only not only as a child in what is now her future and the Doctor's past. Yes. Um, but all but but there seems to be an allusion an allusion to the idea that she will that their paths will cross again. After all, River and she are going to coincide again. This is this much is clear. Um, but also there is the hungry earth to take place there is still that waving yeah. that's not been explained so I don't <clears throat> I'm hoping that this is that um, well I, I think that I think your two niggles are actually linked is there a third one they are no no just the two for the time being <laughs> okay well I'm thinking we, okay so I, I, I'm saying we still don't know why the TARDIS is exploding in the future well in, in, in the Doctor's past I, but I'm somewhere beginning in the future. to wonder if we're ever going to get an explanation it's been nearly two and a half years. We've got another three months to the Christmas. It's not going to get explained at Christmas. Let's say we get <clears> episode <throat> six of season seven at the earliest, March yep. or April. You're looking at three years since that was set up. This story is being told over five years. You know it's being told over five years. As soon as a writer like Stephen Moffat knows he's got a lead actor for five years, it's like, okay, now let's tell a story. I mean, let's tell a story. Listen, I really hope you're right. But the longer this continues, the longer I think we're not going to get a resolution to a future Amy and Rory in The Hungry Earth. That was just a throwaway thing. And the fact that it was a Chibnall script doesn't give me a great deal of optimism that it's going to get addressed in the future. Also, you look at the cracks that were appearing throughout season five, the voice in the TARDIS, the TARDIS exploding, as you rightly say, that there's a heck of a lot to tie up from a long time ago. I'm just wondering, Tom, is he really going to be able to do it convincingly if he does attempt to? Well, um, let's think. He's the most imaginative writer in television at the moment, writing for the most imaginative show with the least boundaries. I don't know. I, I, if, if I had to, if I had to put money on someone that could do it, I would say, can someone phone Steve Moffat and get him to, get him to have a look at this job, please? Yeah. I think he can do it. I think I, can don't do get it. me wrong. I, I, my estimation and my appreciation of Stephen Moffat has gone up immensely based on these five episodes. I know he only wrote two of them, but he clearly is the architect behind the stories being told here. And I've I've got so much respect for him continually knocking the ball out of the park at season finales and not just rehashing old ideas that he's done. And I am going to have a bit of a pop at RTD because that's all he ever did was go over the same thing (laughs) again and again. And, you know, Journey's End, The End of Time were just, you know, larger versions of the previous year's stories. Oh, I've got to... Actually, do you know what? You asked if I ever got emotional. Journey's End. Oh, that was so sad. Oh, it was so sad. It was. I was in tears, but not not for the reasons you were. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. No, that was awful. When they started spinning those Daleks around like toys, I thought, oh, God, you've taken all the threat out of these machines. Anyway, never mind. That's not what we're here to discuss at the moment. Mm. There is a class between Moffat's writing and RTD's writing, and and I really think that when we get round to speculating fairly soon as to who is going to take Stephen Moffat's job from him, it's going to be such a difficult transition for fans this time because it's no one can do what Moffat does. I would say there's quite a lot of writers who are in Russell T Davies's style there are very few in Moffat's. Well, do you know, when I saw the... Um, uh, the tra- in the UK, there were trailers for a thing called Wizards vs. Aliens. And it, it feels like RTD era who, it must be said. Um, look, I, I want to try and balance this out a little bit. Um, there's there's two ways of coming at Doctor Who at the moment, I think. You can look at it um, and say it's just cathartic, simplistic, sentimental, easy, fantastic storytelling. Um, and you know, there's and there, there are a good number of people, even of the old guard, who would say, "Oh, it's not my, sh- it's not the show it used to be." But I'm think, but I'm seeing this. I, I keep saying this: the slow reinvention of the show. Um, if anybody who's listening has not seen um, the very first episode, uh, an unearthly child from 1963, <laughs> yeah. do yourselves a favour. Go and have a look at it. Go and you know, if you can watch the first couple of episodes of uh, of that particular show, because what you'll see is the character that this Doctor is slowly becoming. He's becoming. He's he's got less control. He's got less agency. He's got less direction. He's being told what to do. River, you could easily substitute River for Ian Chesterton because she just turns up and, ki- and kicks people all over the place. Hmm. Um, 
The Doctor is angry, he's sullen, he's, he's supposed to be very, very old, and he's mysterious. We're, he really is being pushed back to the character we met on the 23rd of November, 1963. So if you've not seen that, go back and have a look. And then have, So have a look at the very first episode, um, and see and look at the character of the Doctor. And have a look at this very last episode, and look at the character of the Doctor. Um, so yes, yeah, so, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a very negative reading, which is, yeah, it's just simple wish fulfillment, it's sentimental stuff. But on the other, but there's another reading, which is the one I'm choosing to take, which is to say that on repeat viewing, even yesterday, um, even, in the, even watching the first 10, 15 minutes again, it was incredibly exciting. There's so much stuff that you pick up on. Yeah, you're right. um, for yeah. instance, Rory just go, goes from day to night. And and you're thinking, well, how the how on earth did that happen? And you notice he goes in, he walks under a walkway That's into it. the dark, turns mm. around, hears some angels, and suddenly, he, and suddenly you're being you are being challenged, you are being you are being, you're not just being picked up and dropped off, you are being given something to think about. Um, and not, if not only in the way that the narrative works, also in the way that the relationships between the characters work. Also, for Doctor Who fans, you know, sometimes we have to let go and just admit things are going on. For if for the avoidance of any doubt, River regarded the doctor as her husband he regarded her as his wife i know it might seem a bit weird but let's be fair the doctor is not a human being and neither is she so the way they get so the, the way they relate to each other clearly they believe that they're married what that means for the future who knows i know there should be a contingent of fandom going oh granddaughter that might explain the that might explain susan <laughs> um, i <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised i think stephen moffat is is intrinsically involved with the show's history. I mean, oh, yeah. an, an unearthly child. The traits that you see there, it's no coincidence that we're seeing the same kinds of character traits being developed now. Um, and that's because Moffat is so close to the show. And mm. uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if his long term plan was to say, yeah, you know, right, right at the very beginning, I'm going to get the Doctor married. I'm going to explain the Susan quandary. You know, things along those lines. You know, the stuff that fans do in their sleep. <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, yeah, got nothing else to do, and that's pretty much what he is. And uh, I've I've got an enormous amount of time and respect for him, and I I think he has an enormous amount of time and respect for the show and the show's history. And I do really believe it's in safe hands. I mean, no one's going to be able to write. I don't know how many stories has he written now? Fifteen, something mm. like that. Twenty. Yeah. No one's going to be able to write that many stories and write corkers every single time. Russell T. Davies certainly didn't. But as far mm. as I'm concerned, there's only been one huge clunker uh, that he's written, which was the Christmas special last year, and The Beast Below, which I've always liked, but I do understand why people seem to think it's not very good. But everything else he's written, I think he's he's really, really mm. done very, very well with. Well, as, as you're talking about the writing, I want to bring this back to the show that aired last night. So what do we think about some of the devices that we use, like the afterword like the idea that we've got a very circular story dr tate tears out the last page and then he goes back to find it yeah i mean a little bit too much predestiny for me and mm. uh, again you, you talked about magic earlier on and you know the doctor it's it's bordering on superstition uh, don't don't read it because it will happen and the doctor's acceptance of that i found a little bit strange almost i, I had the same kind of reaction to that as the doctor sitting in a seance with ouds you know, it's a, it's a. Do you know what I think? It's a coping mechanism. I've mentioned a couple of times recently that living in the past is dangerous and running away from things is dangerous. Um, very, very much so if you're a time lord. And this, and I think what you've got in a very in a very, uh, I don't know, in a metaphorical sense, is the Doctor fa- trying to avoid endings because he's a time lord. He doesn't really have to engage with them until he's forced to. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I liked the device. Um, it, was, it, it helped move the story along and it helped bring a little bit of closure to it. I'll stand by. I don't think this is the last we've seen of the ponds. And, you know, they're, 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 I'm pleased that this is the end of their first coming, if you like, mm. because now. Um, it, it, it's very, it's very much the same as when uh, Ian and Barbara left the first Doctor, and when Susan left the first Doctor, because now um, the Doctor has to redefine himself, um, or at least we and we as fans can re-engage with him as, and say, well, okay, well, we've known you now, let's let's see some more. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a great opportunity coming up with and with, with the with the introduction of Jenna Louise Coleman, and certainly with the uh, with the fireworks that I'm hoping will be going off yeah. over the next twelve months. Oh no, absolutely right. It was made explicitly clear last night that. Um, 
Oswin in Asylum of the Daleks hadn't just deleted the Doctor from the Daleks' consciousness and memory, but she's deleted him from the universe. Um, He's done that. No, I don't think so. I think that's what we were originally led to believe at the end of season six. You know, he's going to go back into, you know, obscurity and so on. Now, how can you, you can't just remove yourself from the universe. Things still happened in your past. It's, it's not as if you just delete yourself from existence or Mm. else most of the things within season six, no one would remember and didn't actually happen. And you could even say that was almost the year that never was. And I don't accept that's what Moffat wanted. There's a line in Asylum that says, oh, clever girl, she's Mm. managed to remove all trace of any history the Daleks have with the Doctor. I think that's great, but I think she's gone beyond that and there is no Doctor. There's just no Doctor now. Otherwise, we're back to the realms of magic again, which I don't really want to fall back on. Well, this is an int- okay. So here's the thing, then. Um, I'm sure our our, our bright and focused and listen and tenacious listeners uh, are already already aware of the problem, the the paradox inside what you're saying. And I'm not saying, and I'm not saying it's a mistake that you're making. Um, but we have to think about the silence in the library. Um, so the Doctor. So so we know that the events that take place in the, in the silence in the, li- in the library are in the Doctor's past, but in River, but in River's future, um, and the Doctor make, says some, makes a throwaway line, something along the lines of "We're in the biggest library in the universe. Look me up." Hmm. Now I wonder whether, as I say, that's in the Doctor's past, but in River's future, River at that point is saying. Well, actually, it's like you've been deleted from everywhere. Yeah, but of course, still. but the Tenth Doctor won't know that yet. Yeah, quite right. Quite, it's, 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 well, but this, this is the thing, though. I wonder how that's actually going to spin. Is he actually listed <laughs> in that library? Maybe not. Perhaps that's why it works the way it does. Well, perhaps that's it precisely. Who knows? I mean, it, it's going to be very difficult for every two or three line exchange to be addressed years after previous episodes went out and yeah I'm sure Moffat had a plan but he didn't have everything mapped out in front of him when Silence in the Library was written but uh, yeah we'll we'll just have to find out I suppose. One of the most exciting things about being a Doctor Who fan and certainly at the moment a Doctor Who viewer is that you can try and plug all of these gaps Um, yes we're anticipating that the writers will do so but I think it's inconceivable they're going to catch everything because it's it's just not possible Mm. I mean they they haven't done in some other much more high profile series than than Doctor Who I mean you look at the way Lost was resolved or not resolved it was um, it was appalling and the budget for that was infinitely more than Doctor Who will ever dream of and yet they still couldn't tie it up and it all comes back to writing I've got more confidence that Doctor Who will come to a satisfactory conclusion than some of the big blockbusters like that that just run and run and run sometimes unexpectedly Um, Mm. but we'll we'll see now we really ought to move into the annex of the camper van here because we've got some extremely impatient DWP hosts who are very very anxious to share what they thought of uh, of last night the difference being because of something Lisa managed to do with his internet in the toilet they're not together so you're going to get some solo thoughts here, I'm afraid. Um, first of all, going to hand you over to Ian. Take it away, Ian. Hello, Ian here, and I'm recording this about half an hour after watching Angels Take Manhattan with my thoughts on this, our mid-season finale for season seven. So, to be quite blunt, I thought that was fantastic. I think this was the best Moffat script we've seen since Blink. And I think there's quite a few parallels back to Blink. I mean, the, the, the device of the book foretelling what's going on, I think there's some parallels can be drawn between that and the DVDs that were in Blink. But it, it's subtle enough. Yes, I know everyone says Moffat reuses these things, but I think that's quite a subtle reuse and didn't bother me in the slightest. The whole Statue of Liberty thing that everyone had been speculating about, I thought was well used. You know, the fact that you never saw it moving, you never saw it walking around, which I suppose you wouldn't for an angel, but it was quite subtly done. So to just use it very much as a background artefact like that, hit the nail on the head it was perfect coming to the ending of course it is as i kind of well i pr- predicted this back in the preview episode yes the ponds are dead and gone however they lived out a full and happy life together in the past i, I thought this is what we'd, we would end up with and was very happy that we did because it perfectly balances the fact that 
a line has to be drawn under them and something has to be done to stop the Doctor ever going back again. But at the same time, they get a happy ending. And I think you had to have a happy ending. I mean, for all of Moffat's talk about not everyone's going to make it out alive and it's going to be heartbreaking, there had to be a happy ending here. Having them actually die by going off the edge of the building was not going to work. It, it just would have been far, far too dark for the for the audience we have today. So I think that was a perfect landing for the Pond storyline. It was heartbreaking, but at the same time, you ended up with... Uh, a moment of happiness knowing that they lived out a full and happy life together. I am surprised that it wasn't linked in to the young River storyline. At the point when River was back in the TARDIS with the Doctor at the very end and they're discussing around the book, I was just waiting for River to come out and say, I know they were happy because I met them when I was a little girl in New York. And I was really surprised when that didn't happen because we now know for absolute certain that Amy and Rory were living in New York at the same time as their child was living there, living on the street. And it's something's got to happen there. And I, I do, I get the feeling of there being another shoe to drop here. It's just too much of a coincidence. I mean, Moffat could have set this story anywhere in the world. I mean, the Statue of Liberty aside, it didn't have to be in New York. It could have been anywhere. So why put it there and also put River there? And he didn't have to put River there either as a young girl. You know, the story was set in Washington and down in, um, I think, Florida, where the, the, the space rockets were taking off. So to have pushed both of these stories to New York, I'm, it, it's not a coincidence. He's done it for a reason, and we haven't seen that yet. So I think there's still something to be seen there. Uh, a comment my uh, wife made is that for all of the, the talk about paradoxes and broken time in New York in the 30s, what's stopping the Doctor going back in the 50s or the 60s or any other time in between? So he can't go back to the ponds when they're at the age they are now, but he could still go back. And I have a feeling that um, we haven't seen the last of the ponds yet and something will happen to tie up those two timelines. Slight knit, the first time the detective in the pre-credit sequence is in the corridor, you have two angels either side of him. They're facing each other. Why haven't they quantum locked each other? But honestly, who cares? It, it was great fun. It was very, very enjoyable. Stuff like that. Yeah, there's minor bits like that. But honestly, in, in, in the realm of Doctor Who, it's one of the tiniest nits we've ever had to deal with. And just leaves me waiting with bated breath for our Christmas special. Well, thump, thump, thump. Here comes the Statue of Liberty. Hello there. I might be on holiday at the moment down in beautiful Sydney in the Blue Mountains, just west of Sydney, but uh, nothing would drag me away from watching, I suppose, what you can call the mid-season finale or the season finale of Doctor Who. Certainly uh, the last Doctor Who we're going to be getting for a couple of months until uh, Christmas Day rolls around. So, Angels Take Manhattan. I nearly said Muppets there. Angels Take Manhattan. What did I think of this? This this review might turn out to be a little bit of a season review because I'm not going to be here next week either. What I thought of Angels Take Manhattan kind of sums up what I thought of this little mini-season in general, these, these five stories that we've been treated to during the month of September. Overall, I've been surprised just how, just how cold, for the most part, Doctor Who Series 7 has left me. While it looks fantastic, it looks lavish, it looks beautiful, it looks stunning... Um, with the exception of A Town Called Mercy, I, I really haven't felt like I was watching Doctor Who. It kind of struck home to me the other day. I've, I've been watching a few of the new Blu-ray releases from the uh, Bond 50 box set. I was watching Quantum of Solace, which is the most recent Bond movie up, up to this point. And I was a little bit annoyed with it, apart from it being a bad film, but just how polished it was, just how arty it was trying to be, just how... Um, accomplished, I suppose, it was going to be. Uh, and, and I'm kind of feeling that way with Doctor Who. It, it started with Asylum of the Daleks that I think I said during my review that sometimes I had to look and see whether I was actually watching Doctor Who. It looked too good. It looked too amazing. I, I, I know that might sound a bit crazy, but I think with Doctor Who and certainly with James Bond, I, I don't mind if you know the edges are a little frayed. I don't mind if there's... Um, Something that reminds me that this thing has a budget. Angel's Tank Manhattan looks fantastic. It's beautiful. I, I, I really wasn't that impressed with it. I sort of came away with it, especially the last 10 minutes, and thought, 
Does Doctor Who think it's more clever than it really is? Or does the great Stephen Moffat think he's more clever than he really is? I like the way they tried to tie in the whole Amy-Amelia storyline. But again, I think they're being a little bit too clever. What I liked about uh, the end of Angel Sake Manhattan, that the last 10 minutes, was the way the Doctor was coached by River um, to, you know, to go back and talk to young Amelia. That scene we saw right towards the end of the 11th hour where Amelia basically comes out with her suitcase and sits on it and just sits and sits the whole night. But we never see why that happened. We never saw anything going on. Now at the end of Angels Take Manhattan, we see that. It's the doctor from the end of this, from Angels Take Manhattan, going back to the beginning, right back to the 11th hour, and filling the young Amelia's head with the wonders and the glories of what will come when she's older and she travels with the doctor for, in inverted commas, the first time. Now, I thought that was really clever when I watched it, so I instantly pulled out my DVDs of the 11th hour and sat down and watched when, uh, you know, the Doctor and Amy met when they took their first trip in the TARDIS, when the Doctor was explaining all the fantastic things, trying to coax her into coming along. To me, that didn't look like Amy already knowing what was going on. It was a fresh, wide-eyed Amy. It didn't really fit in to what we now know in Angels Take Manhattan. I expected to go back to the 11th hour and be blown away by the subtle references to Amy understanding exactly what she's going to be doing when she travels with the Doctor, that she's going to fall in love with a centurion, that you know they're going to save a whale, all that sort of stuff. But I never got that impression re-watching the footage in 11th hour. But that's a little bit by the by. One thing I didn't really like about this, I've, I was looking forward to seeing the angels coming back. I, I think they're an incredibly fantastic, chilling monster. But I never got that sense in this story. I really didn't. I don't think they were really scary in this story. Now, whether it's down to the performances, whether it's down to the direction or the cutting of the episode, I don't think they were really used to their full potential. Probably the closest they came were those little cherubs in the basement where Rory had the um, thing of matches. But I think even that could have been more scary. Really. We've seen some really, really chilling stuff with these angels in previous stories. And I don't think anything in Angels Take Manhattan came close to some of the real genuine scares that we've got in years gone past with with the angels. It's great to see that the, um, I suppose, race is broadening, that we're seeing the young cherubs. Um, you know, that we're seeing different types of statues. But I think, you know, having the Statue of Liberty as an angel, I think that might stand out a little bit. You know, people might notice, hey, there's a hulking great Statue of Liberty standing beside this building. Um, that, that really didn't ring true for me. One thing I didn't really like also was none of the um, secondary characters were really fleshed out. Um, we, we had an extensive pre-credit sequence with the detective um, and, and all that going on there, but... Um, that was never really expanded upon. I, I think it was meant to set the whole period with the hard-boiled feel, you know, the film noir type feel that this story was going for, certainly in the um, 1920s, 1930s scenes. That's what they were trying to go for. So that, that's, I think, why they had that at the beginning. But it didn't really fit into the rest of the story very well. And also the uh, mobster who had a, uh, a bit of a liking for collecting rare and unusual stuff, I think that character was kind of wasted too. He, he was really at the periphery of what was going on. And then when they just knocked him out and left him on the floor for 20 minutes of the story, only to have him wake up and get taken by the angels. I, I think that was an opportunity wasted there too. Um, River, I think they had to have her. Basically, this was Amy and Rory's last story. It, it would have been criminal not to. But again, I, I don't think she's really useful in this story. She's kind of wasted. And I think it really all comes back to what I'd said at the beginning. I, I think... Stories like this think they're more clever than they really are. I don't think this story is clever. I, I think the story spends a lot of its time tugging at your heartstrings and then totally reversing it. You know, the whole thing with Amy and Nora going off the building. And then, oh my goodness, they're all right. Isn't that fantastic? And then to only try and tug at your heartstrings again by Amy making the ultimate sacrifice to, to follow Rory into the past. I suppose I'd never really been a fan of all these relationships that Doctor Who has. And, and I've never been a fan of um, when the stories focus on these sort of things. So probably the end of Angels Take Manhattan wasn't going to be my cup of tea. But, you know, the Doctor needs to move on. Sure, he's been with these people for his whole regeneration so far, Amy and Rory. Um, but 
really. This this guy's 1,200 years old. He's been there, done that. He's got the experience. He's got the intelligence. He's more than just a 20-something-looking guy who is, is missing the best friends of his life. Um, he's been down this path before. He's had companions die on him. He's had companions leave um, willingly and unwillingly all throughout the show's history. And, and that's why it always, you know, it doesn't really work for me when they try and say that Amy and Rory are, are the ultimate companions because they've done that with Rose. They've done that with Martha. They've done that with Donna. Every single companion has to be this amazing, um, oh, my goodness, how, how can I possibly continue type of feel. And honestly, I'm over it. What I would also like to see, and this is turning into a bit of a season review, I'm sorry guys, but you'll just have to put up with me, I just want to see some standard adventures. And that's why I like Town Called Mercy so much this season, because it was the probably the only story in this entire season that was a straightforward adventure. It wasn't the Dalek sending the Doctor on a mission, please. It wasn't the Doctor roaming around riding dinosaurs on a spaceship, Please. It, it wasn't the metatextual, aren't I so clever, power of three story. Please. Town Called Mercy just told a basic story. It had some basic emotions. It had some action. It was a realistically, beautifully shot story. And, and that's my favourite from this particular seasonette of Doctor Who anyway. But yeah, in, in summary... Haven't been that impressed with the season so far. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Christmas special, though. I always look forward to Doctor Who. But I think less emotion, less relationships. Let's just have a story about the Doctor defeating baddies and monsters. You know, let's actually tell a Doctor Who story rather than telling a Day of Our Lives episode. I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about it. So please send your feedback in to the boys and they'll put it in their feedback episode coming up very soon. Anyway... Back to my holiday. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Trev, Trev, I know we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks, but I cannot wait to get sat down with you again just so we can go over some of the things that you're saying there. Beautiful. Right, also, um, this has been quite a long episode. It's been a long, it's been a short season, so it's almost as if the episode's been twice as long as the yes. season that's been shown. Um, so, what we're going to say is this. Next week, we've got uh, a feedback episode. As you can imagine, there's only been five episodes, but um, there are an awful lot of listeners, and there's an awful lot of time. So, I'm going to be sitting down in the camera van going over some of your interesting emails and audio feedback. Of course, there's still time if you want to send some in over the next seven to eight days, please do. Uh, The usual address, feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Always glad to hear from you. Um, If you can keep the MP3 feedback down to less than two minutes and uh, the written feedback down to no more than about 150, 200 words, that would be terrific. Now... I don't think there's much else left to say except, well, I think I want to go back and watch that episode again so that when it is time to sit down with Trev and the others, I've actually got a more a more fully formed and coherent uh, opinion, I think. All right, well, what can I say, listeners? You know the address. Please, if you'd like to take part in next week's, in next week's feedback show, get your feedback to us. In the meantime, see you again. Bye-bye. Bye for now. That was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.